With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. What up, folks? Welcome in. It is another edition of Hardwood Handicappers, cranking out these division previews as we get set for the NBA regular season starting on Tuesday. Cannot believe that this thing is already here. Uh, flying solo today. Jonathan Von Tobel, Kelly Bidlin taking the day off. Got a lot of stuff going on. And I want to remind everybody, if you're listening and as we're getting ready for the NBA season, we are going to change things around here for Hardman Handicappers. Starting on Monday, we're going to take a little bit more of like a daily uh, podcast form. These will be out pretty early. You're going to record at about 10 a.m. Pacific time each day. Have these episodes out. Kind of take a little bit more of a shape of uh, our daily podcast forums that we have out there. So, you know, if you've listened to Adam Burke and the Daily Best Bets podcast for baseball, I think we have one for, uh, do we have one for hockey? Wow, I shouldn't probably admit that on the air. Uh, but, <laughs> but you get the idea. We're going to have these every single day. Zach Cohen, uh, one of our writers on the website up at vcin.com. If you checked out maybe player prop stuff we had last year, Zach was the author for those. He's going to be part of the rotation as well. And uh, I'll be part of them every single day, Monday through Friday, unless I can't make it, but, I'll be there every single day as we get ready for the NBA season. So that'll start on Monday. And to walk you through what we're going to look like as well, some of them will be pretty short form, 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, on the days in which we don't really have a ton going on, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, as those are generally the shorter days, we'll expand a little bit more on maybe some bigger topics, futures, everything like that. But the emphasis will be on getting information and getting analysis out there for bets to make on the day. And uh, starting on Monday, when we get to this format, we will have our final division preview coming up on Monday. That'll be the Southeast Division. Zach wrote that up for the guide, helped me out a bit. So we'll get him on the pod, introduce him, and get his thoughts on what the South looks like, Southeast. And then on Tuesday, not only will we have a breakdown of the two games that we are going to see on Tuesday for opening night, but we will also have a uh, Futures episode where we break down every single future that Kelly, myself, and I believe Zach will be on it too, and what we have for the season that is on the way. So when we get to the Atlantic, we'll have a little, little bit more. Of course, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about win totals. Usually we do start with some news coming down in the NBA. If we have any headlines, as I like to call them, the hardwood headlines, don't really have much. I think one of the things that we talked about in the Central on Wednesday is the news around James Harden. Harden did skip 76ers practice for a second day in a row. So we do know that it looks like, uh, we'll say, very unlikely that this is not going to have be a team, the 76ers, that have James Harden on the floor to start the year. It didn't mention the line move that we kind of saw for this match. Remember, the 76ers don't start their season until Thursday. Well, we're seeing that this matchup between them and the Milwaukee Bucks slowly climbing in the Bucks' direction. We're up to five and a half now in favor of Milwaukee over at DraftKings. No totals yet up for the days past Tuesday and Wednesday, or past Tuesday. So we have... Totals for the opening night, nothing going forward. So just a five and a half point spread in favor of Milwaukee on that Thursday night. See where the market ends up going. 
I think once we get official news that Harden's not going to be out there and you actually get some public money in the coffers, we'll probably see this thing tick up to six, maybe six and a half. Um, but there will be a point where you can come in and, and bet the Philadelphia 76ers only because the 76ers are still a very good team. But we'll get to that when we get to it. And I can't wait to, for the start of the season, man. It's absolutely tremendous. Uh, one bit of news that I did want to note for all of you, and I'm not sure what the impact is going to be, but I think there is going to be an impact of some sort. The Milwaukee Bucks actually saw Terry Stotts resign the other day. He did step down as assistant coach with Milwaukee. Adrian Griffin confirmed that to reporters yesterday. So I'm recording this on Friday. So they talked about this on Thursday. So it's pretty interesting. Stotts had actually, for those who don't remember, he had actually sat out the two seasons following his uh, his leave with the Portland Trailblazers, joined the Griffin staff in the spring. Uh, but then, of course, in the last few days, just told Milwaukee that he was not going to continue on in the role. From the report, Griffin said, quote, it caught all of us off guard, of course. But again, you just support him. He was a terrific guy. I learned a lot from him in a very short time. He was really good at what he does. He made a decision, a personal decision. We just have to respect that. So it does seem like he came around as a surprise. There is the obvious connection that Stotts had worked with Damian Lillard in the past. So it is pretty interesting that they get Damian Lillard and in a short time later, Stotts decides to step down. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's nothing there, uh, but just something that, is worth it worth putting out there because Griffin had done a great job of putting a staff around him that had right a lot of veteran coaching leadership and Stotts was among them and then the addition of Damian Lillard with a guy who had worked with Lillard in the past really made you feel good about where this offense was going to go outside of just the personnel but having a guy that knows what Lillard likes hopefully he implemented some of that stuff before he left and they got it from him but just something worth noting we don't tend to think of coaching assistants in the NBA being as impactful as like a defensive or an offensive coordinator in the National Football League. Uh, but I think this is a loss. Now, does it manifest itself in fewer wins or losses? Not entirely sure. But just again, something worth noting as the Bucs will lose Terry Stotts and he will not coach for them this season. With that, let's move on. Let's get into the Atlantic division. Very excited, a very good division. And of course, leading the way in the Atlantic as we start our team previews are the Boston Celtics. Win total, of five and a half, or 55 and a half, five and a half, uh, 55 and a half co-favorites with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, both to win the Eastern Conference and to win the NBA Finals. They have a win total of 55 and a half. I think I mentioned that already. I apologize. That's, that's why you don't read while you're trying to talk. Um, to win the conference, of course, co-favorites with the Milwaukee's are already reiterated as well. So what do we do with the Boston Celtics who bring in Kristaps Porzingis, who bring in Drew Holiday, who shipped off Marcus Smart, who lost Grant Williams and Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon were part of the trades as well. What do we do with a team that seems to be loaded on the surface but doesn't have the same depth that they once did? And I, I kind of start with Porzingis, and I think that's the obvious place to start because this is a team that is going to be fascinating because not only because they're good, but because it could see we could see such a shift in the way that they play offense. And we'll put it this way. If you look at some of the numbers for Boston last season, they averaged the fifth fewest post-ups per game. They only averaged 3.8 post-ups per game, according to the NBA tracking data. And the two players who averaged more than one post-up per game were Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. So you're talking about smaller guys, uh, you know, one of them being a guard and smart, the other being the wing player in Tatum that are posting up with frequency for them. Now you're having a player like Porzingis, who last season averaged four post-ups per game with Washington. So now one of the things that has kind of bothered me with Boston in this upgrade that they have made, you know, getting Drew Holiday and adding Kristaps Porzingis, 
I keep going back to, you know, everybody keeps talking about good they can be defensively. Obviously, with Drew Holiday, the point of attack, and they can be, and they should be, and they're going to be an elite defensive team. Once they get into the playoffs, they're going to be a pain in the butt. But when I watch Boston the last few seasons, and I'm sure all of you who listen to this podcast watch a bit of them too, we all watched a team that really struggled with its half-court offense, with its fluidity in its offense. It was turnovers. It was a constipated flow. There wasn't much there. And I don't think they fixed that entirely. But having said that, at the very least, when you have a post-up threat like Kristaps Porzingis, when you are starting to get bogged down, when you are starting to get constipated, you can at least kind of stifle that a bit with a quick post-up of Porzingis and working off of that. So I think there is something to that. I still have my concerns about what this, off court, this offense looks like in those situations. But Porzingis gives you a post-presence that you hadn't had before. And by the way, those numbers were great. Washington averaged 1.18 points per possession on a Porzingis post-up last season. That efficiency was second to Nikola Jokic. They had an offensive rating the Nuggets did of 122 on a Jokic post-up. So when you count for frequency, Porzingis was one of the most efficient post players in the NBA last season. So that is something that Boston is going to be able to use that they had not had before. And maybe that helps them in regards to the issues they've had on offense the last few seasons. Having said that, you do have concerns when it comes to Porzingis only because last year, career year, 23.2 points, 49.8% from the floor, 2.7 assists per game, just under a steal per game, all career metrics for Kristaps Porzingis. But it was the most games he's played since 2017. He played in 65 last year. And that is always the concern with Porzingis. And I think that is my concern with Boston when it comes to the regular season, which is, are you expecting that Porzingis can give you 65 games or maybe even more this season? And the history would tell us that that's not the case. I mean, Porzingis even missed out on World Cup play because he was dealing with plantar fasciitis. And that's something that concerns you. You know, when you have a very thin team, when one of the guys that you need, it has a shaky history of availability, that gives me the concern when it comes to betting over a win total or expecting them to win a one seed in an Eastern Conference. Frankly, I'm surprised that their win total is higher than Milwaukee's. And it's, you know, it's only by a win, 55 and a half to 54 and a half for the Bucks. But if I look around and look at the injury history of the two teams, I think I have more faith that Milwaukee is going to have its key players available more often than what the Boston Celtics have. And that doesn't even account for a guy like Al Horford, who has had issues in the past when it comes to availability. And that's kind of what the question is for me. And when you trade for Drew Holiday, you know, your primary bench option at center, Robert Williams, is now gone. Your rotation back there at center is now Al Horford, Luke Cornett, uh, possibly Namias Keita. I, I don't know if he's been cut yet or not. I think he's going to make the team. So that's going to be something to monitor here, too, because Keita, uh, former Utah State center, as uh, anybody out there who maybe follows him out west like I do, um, is on the roster here. So maybe you roll with that and you give him a shot here, too. According to the roster I'm looking at, he's still on the, the team. But like that's kind of a shaky rotation at center, and especially if Porzingis is going to miss, miss time. And God forbid that both Porzingis and Al Horford both miss time at the same time. So all of this being said, I really like Boston when when fully constructed. Like They're going to be a very, very good team. Defensively, they are going to be hell, especially when you have Drew Holiday out there, when they go a little bit smaller, when you have Derek White, when you have Jason Tatum, when you have Jalen Brown, when you have Porzingis out there. Like You're going to have a really good and effective defense. You can be able to switch multiple positions. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I just approach Boston from a regular season standpoint and think I'd rather go under the win total 
when it comes to the Boston Celtics, only because of the concerns that I have with Porzingis and availability. And if that's going to be the case, then, you know, dynamic at play when it comes to the postseason is going to be even more fascinating because if you don't have home court against Milwaukee, I mean, these two teams are so tight that could ultimately make the difference for the Boston Celtics. I, I just, I can't wait to see what this is going to be, but the Celtics are going to be very, very good. And I don't want that to be lost on anybody who listens to this. Cause I know the conversations we have all the time and people are just going to be like, Oh, you're hating. You don't really like them. No, it's, it's not really the case. It hasn't, it's not what I think at all. I just think that if you factor in history of availability for a lot of these guys, then I think you're looking at something where you would assume a watered down record. One more thing to point out with this team, because Kelly and I have been doing this throughout the episodes, right? Which is, okay, futures-wise, outside of win totals, what do you do here? Uh, is Jason Tatum an MVP candidate? He could be. Uh, he had really good numbers last year, didn't really sniff winning the award. I don't think that's something that I would really be running to bet uh, for Jason Tatum. Right now, he is 8-1 to one over at DraftKings uh, to win MVP. I, I think if you want to go somewhere exotic, somewhere interesting, Betting somebody like a Drew Holiday to place uh, on the all-defensive first team, which is something you can bet over at DraftKings. You might, you can maybe look at something like that. There was an interesting dynamic. So a lot of people expected that um, Derek Brown, right? Or it should be Derek Brown, Derek White. Um, that Derek White would be the odd man out because they brought in Drew Holiday and that Derek White was going to move back to the bench. But by all accounts, the Celtics have spent the whole entire offseason telling Derek White that he's going to be the starting point guard for this team. And in fact, in the preseason, that has been the case. Derek White has been starting in the preseason. And there was a point where maybe the thought was that Drew Holiday was actually going to come off of the bench. Last couple of preseason games, Drew Holiday has been starting alongside Derek White. So potentially your starting lineup is going to be Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kristaps Porzingis. I know that the Celtics have talked about playing two bigs with Al Horford and Kristaps Porzingis together. So that's an option. But the six-man-of-the-year race is going to be pretty interesting because I think a lot of people are going to rush to bet Derek White to win six-man-of-the-year. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to be their starting point guard. And I don't think there's really going to be a true six-man-of-the-year candidate because I do think that they're probably going to skew, as uh, as we kind of know here, Joe Mazzulla likes to play a little bit smaller. I think they're going to skew a little bit smaller and go with Holiday and White as a starting backcourt and bench Al Horford as opposed to Derek White. At least that's how the last couple of games in the preseason have gone. So it's a fascinating dynamic. Again, would recommend playing under the win total. It is not a bet that I have personally made. Still think the Celtics are the one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. I think there is a point difference between the two, just over a point. Uh, and I rate Milwaukee as the slightly better team. I think the fit between Giannis Antetokounmpo and Damian Lillard is just better, and I really like the way that thing's going to work and work out in a matchup against Boston. But having said that, it's, again, a minimal edge that could be negated by whoever wins home court in that regard. So Boston, best team in the Atlantic Division. Don't think there's any question about that. We move on. Brooklyn Nets. I think this team is absolutely fascinating. So to win the NBA Finals, 70-1, to conference at 30-1, to division 25-1, to Got a win total of 37 and a half. They're a small underdog to make the playoffs at plus 145. Uh, no big additions in the offseason. Dennis Smith Jr., Darius Baisley was actually one of those, but Baisley is gone. Uh, actually just got cut the other day. And actually, let me double check here because I think Dennis Smith Jr. might be uh, might have been cut as well. Um, no, okay, he's still part of the uh, Brooklyn Nets as far as I can tell. 
So, uh, yeah, so he's still part of the Brooklyn Nets. So there's not really much change from the team that played post-All-Star break together last year. And the reason why I think Brooklyn is one of the more fascinating teams in the NBA, it's because last season, the last 27 games, post-trade deadline when they had everybody that, you know, this current iteration of the roster, I I thought they were going to be better. They were 12 and 15 straight up, 13 and 14 against the spread. And, you know, it's not terrible, only three games under 500. But in those 27 games, they were 23rd in non-garbage time offense. They were pretty average on defense. And when you see a team that is loaded with three and D wing players, you'd expect at the very least this team was going to be much better on defense. Now, their lack of size really hurt. And they gave up a lot of second chance points. And their lack of size really did show out if you uh, watch that series against Philadelphia where Joel Embiid, they just didn't have an answer for Joel Embiid. They were triple teaming Joel Embiid at times to kind of make up for their lack of size and lack of matchups for Joel Embiid. But I, I like when I see this team on paper, I think they're going to be better. They should be better. And it starts with like Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges is a good young player. And I think he actually can be the focal point of a team, a building block. I think he's shown enough growth on offense. He's good enough on defense. He could be a legitimately good two-way player that you build around um, as you move forward. And then you look at the rest of this roster. Like there is a lot on this roster that I think people would really like. And there's a lot of coveted pieces on this roster that people would like. You still have Spencer Dinwiddie, more importantly, along the wing. You have Cameron Johnson. You have Royce O'Neal. There's other intriguing, or Dorian Finney Smith, shouldn't forget him. And then the other intriguing pieces like Cam Thomas. Dennis Smith Jr., as I mentioned, is a good defensive guard. Lonnie Walker comes along uh, from the Los Angeles Lakers. You have Ben Simmons. So we'll see if that's going to happen as well. Because Simmons, I think is a really key focal point. We'll talk about him in a moment because he is very important to where this team struggled on offense. So some of the struggles on offense and, and why Ben Simmons will matter. So first off, when you look at the 27 games that Brooklyn played, they took just 29.3% of their shot attempts within four feet of the basket over that span. That's the fifth lowest frequency of rim shots of any team in the NBA past the trade deadline. And they shot just 62.8% on those attempts. So not only did they barely get within four feet of the basket, they were inefficient when they got the easiest shot in basketball. And that was despite averaging the seventh most drives per game. So essentially, they were trying, they just couldn't get there. They don't really have a north-south presence that can get to the rim and finish, that can dish it out and kick it. It's likely why they passed out of drives 40.1% of the time. Only 9.4% of their assists came off of drives. It, it wasn't a strength of this team. And it ties into why Ben Simmons can be so valuable. Because if Simmons can play point guard, he adds to them defensively, he gives them size, and he gives them a much-needed presence at the guard spot to drive at the basket, to suck in opposing defenses, to put pressure on opposing rims, and to open up the floor for a team of, like as I mentioned, a lot of 3 and D shooters that can be effective shooters if given the space to operate. And that's why I think ultimately this team is so fascinating because if they figure it out on offense, if Ben Simmons is going to hit, and again, we don't, you don't need Ben Simmons average 20 points game. Uh, Really you do need triple double Ben Simmons. Who's going to give you like 10, 10 and 10 and be able to fill it up, add to the defensive rebounding, which was an issue for them and dish out assists to shooters on a team that's littered with them. That's going to be the interesting part about what Brooklyn can possibly be. And so if he is going to figure that out, well, then all of a sudden, You're looking at a team that last year, again, over the 27-game sample size, was the best, like truly elite transition defense when they were put together. 
Uh, a defense that allowed the fewest points added per 100 plays, 0.7 through transition offense. Fewest overall points through transition per 100 plays, 113.5. They were awesome at shutting teams down, going back the other way. If you can get better defensive rebounding, your half-court defense should be better. You have a lot of good individual on-ball defenders. You can guard along the perimeter in Simmons, Mikael Bridges, Finney Smith, Jackson, or should be Johnson. You have a good defensive center and rim protector in Nick Claxton. This is why this team is really fascinating because if they figure out their offense, if it's going to be better on that end of the floor, I do think that this team can push for a playoff spot this year. So I can't wait to watch what this team is going to be once we get in because that's my biggest question. And it's one of my, you know, I keep using the label for some of these teams, one of my guilty pleasures. They're going to be one of my guilty pleasures that I, that I think I'm going to be watching quite a bit at the beginning of the year because I cannot wait to see what Brooklyn is going to be because if I see any inkling that this team has started to figure out on offense what they need to do. I think they're going to be a team that is going to be a really, really big pain in the butt last season. And and by the way, they dealt with some bad form of some form of bad luck last year too on offense. They shot just 36.5% on wide open three-point attempts, despite generating the eight most uncontested looks. So if the half-court offense gets better, they get more rim pressure, they get better rebounding, the defense is there in transition. If they get better rebounding, the half-court defense improves. They get better luck on shooting. The offense also continues to improve. As you can tell, I'm, I'm making the case here. In the guide, I, I bet this team, or I recommended, going over the win total of 37.5. Their schedule's not particularly daunting. They have a positive net rest advantage. Uh, tied with Portland for the third most overall rest advantages, so that's good. They travel a lot of miles, but, you know, travel's not really the, the task that it used to be. Uh, I saw a lot of, you know, go back to last night. You know, I'm recording this on Friday. There's a lot of conversation about, ooh, the Jacksonville Jaguars have traveled a lot. Man, they, they're, they're not traveling like me and you. They're not stuck to, a, you know, like a guy, a big guy like me in the middle seat that's making you all uncomfortable and whatnot. Like, no, this is – travel's a lot different for these teams, and I wouldn't really put it put put, uh, put much in terms of travel for NBA squads. So, recommend the win total over any other futures. I wouldn't say no. If I'm betting this team over, if I'm recommending over on a win total here for Brooklyn – uh, that means that I'm not saying no to a yes playoff ticket on them at plus 145. I think that's uh, something worth looking at if they're going to improve as an offensive player. Speaking of improvement, Mikael Bridges is the favorite to win most improved player at 8-1. to one. Makes a ton of sense. He is going to be the focal point of this offense. He is their guy at this point right now. He's going to get the volume. His usage rate skyrocketed when he became a Brooklyn Net, and that's going to maintain itself as this season goes along. He's going to be able to, rat, you know, to really rack up points and attempts. So I, I think he is a very valid favorite to win most improved. Do I want to invest him in at 8-1 to one at this point right now? I would say no, only because that's a really short price to invest in in an award that seems – no, it's not seems. It is. It's super subjective as to what constitutes improved, what media members you know will look at every single year seems to be different. So at 8-1 – to one, I'd be willing to bet that at the very least at some point this season, you'll get over double digits on Mikhail Bridges to win most improved player. But this is the most interesting team to me uh, in the Atlantic. Yes, in in a division uh, that has the Boston Celtics. I'm going to be watching, I think, maybe a little bit, not a little bit more, who knows. Uh, But I will be watching quite a bit of Brooklyn Nets basketball. All right, before we get to our break, let's fit in one more team. Uh, Another really interesting team, actually. The New York Knicks, 50-1 to win the NBA Finals. 18-1 Eighteen to one to win the Eastern Conference, to win the division, they are an eight to one shot and a win total of about forty four and a half, forty five and a half, and a pretty big favorite to make the playoffs at minus three eighty. 
The additions here, nothing really massive. What you really want to point to is Dante DiVincenzo. So they reunite the Villanova, the Villanova trio between Josh Hart, and obviously, and Jalen Brunson and DiVincenzo. So what do we do with New York? They went 47 games last year. They were, I mean, this is one of those things that I've got to get better at in terms of like finding these teams that the market just hasn't caught up to and just continue to pound them. If you're somebody who rode the Knicks last season, you did great. 51-39-3 against the spread for the season. After the trade deadline, they were 17-8 and straight up and against the spread with the second best cover margin in the league. Covering, not winning, covering by an average margin of 4.1 points per game. And their pace, statistically, according to Cleaning the Glass, over the course of that 17-8 and run was that of a 59-win team. So the Knicks were dominant, and that led into a very good win in the series for the first time since 2013 over the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then we know what happened from there. What makes New York interesting is whether or not they're going to be the similar team that they were a season ago in that under Tom Thibodeau, you would assume a defensive-minded squad, not the case. Last year, they actually averaged 118.7 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time. It was the second-best offensive rating in the league. Uh, however, on defense, they were very, very average in that regard. In fact, they were floating around 18th in defense. But focusing on what they did on offense, because this is the fascinating part about the, Brook, the, uh, the New York Knicks. They generated their offense through two areas of the floor. The first and primary way they did it was offensive rebounding. They had an offensive rebounding rate of 30.8%, the second best rate in the league. They averaged 16.2 second chance points per game. They were one of the most effective putback teams in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, third in putback points uh, per miss. That's a metric over at CTG at 24.2. Second in putback plays generated per 100 misses, 21.3. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, an absolute elite offensive rebounder, 98th percentile last season in offensive rebounding rate, 17.2%. Jericho Sims placed in the 88th percentile at 12.7%. Uh, players like Julius Randle, Josh Hart contributed from their positions as well. So they were really able to generate some second chance opportunities in a really big way. Well, all those guys return. All of that is pretty much within their skill set. I think you can argue maybe Julius Randle isn't the best offensive rebounder if you look at some of his numbers. But still, you know, if, if I were to tell you those guys had good offensive rebounding seasons again, it wouldn't be out of this world in any way, shape, or form because it's part of their identity. So offensive rebounding should remain in place as a strength this season. The odd anomaly that you get to with New York on offense is, despite the fact that they finished second in offensive rating, they were really inefficient. They were 20th in overall effective field goal percentage. Their most efficient area of the floor in terms of shooting percentage was actually short mid-range. Those are those shots 4 to 14 feet from the basket. And they didn't finish any higher than 19th in shooting percentage from any other area. So their first shot offense was really, really bad. They, they really relied on their offensive rebounding to produce their offense, which again, finished second in efficiency. So if you look at all of this and you go, all right, well, if, the re if, if all of a sudden the rebounding changes, if they're not going to be as strong in terms of generating second chance points and the shooting you would think is going to be somewhat consistent because they didn't really have any big indicators as to whether there was some bad luck here for them. Well, now all of a sudden you're looking at a team who relies on an, an inefficient area of the floor that doesn't really shoot a ton and doesn't shoot particularly well. And like that's something that's going to be pretty interesting because if the offensive rebounding isn't going to be as effective and then all of a sudden, maybe you can make the case here that the Knicks are going to take a really big step back on offense. Now, the other side of this is the Knicks last season, once again, 
were kind of getting lucky, not as much, but kind of getting lucky defensively. And again, they weren't really great on defense, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but high rate of wide open three point attempts allowed last season. Opponents averaged 17.8 uncontested looks from beyond the arc per game. They shot 38.8% of those shots. So, you know, initial success on a possession coupled with a high rate of uncontested attempts, that's going to equal below average defensive rating. That's exactly what, you know, transpired for the Knicks this season. So if that's going to happen and, you know, it's kind of been a symptom of Tom Thibodeau's defense here in New York, I think they're probably going to be average again on defense. So the real question for New York as they head into the season is just going to be, can they fix their first shot efficiency on offense? Can they get better shooting? Are they going to keep up with the pace that they had? Because when Josh Hart came over, they, they were running a little bit more and that was really effective for them. And will the market catch up with this team, right? Will the market see what the Knicks did last season and come back and really rate them highly to the point where they're going to be a bet against team because the market is really too high? I think all of that, you know, the Knicks, I, I, they're, they're a team that I kind of like, like not to the point where I'm betting them over or that I have an angle that I'm rushing in to grab. But I do think that there's, there is a perfectly plausible explanation for everything they did last year that can be repeatable. You know, as I said a couple of times, if the rebounding goes away. Again, that was a strength of guys in terms of their individual strengths as players. That's not going anywhere, so I don't think that's going to happen. You know, if you get better at shooting, then that's only going to help. You can't really get much worse than where they were at. Again, not finishing any better than 19th. So I, I think it's perfectly plausible that this team, again, pushes for a top five seed, top six seed, in the Eastern Conference. There's no real reason outside of the general, hey, injuries could get them explanation that would make me think that this team is due for some really big regression. So for the NBA guide, I recommend it over on the New York Knicks over 45 and a half. They should be able to uh, replicate a good chunk of what they did. I don't think they're going to be producing statistically at the pace they were last year. Again, remember that 17 and eight pace, a 59 win pace over the course of an 82 game season. But I do think this is a playoff team and there's no reason to believe that they're not going to be able to get in there. And especially if the Philadelphia 76ers are not going to have James Harden and maybe take a small step back. Outside of that, when you look around, again, at futures and some options here, Emmanuel quickly is the favorite to win six man of the year, and he should be at eight to one. Again, he makes the most sense given the run that he was on and the fact that the market really loved him near the end of the year. You can make the case if you wanted to for Tom Thibodeau to once again win coach of the year. I tend to think that when guys win this, uh, they were kind of put on the back burner uh, outside of the Knicks really getting hot and finishing on that 59 win pace, of course, and you know taking a one or a two seed. I don't think that that Tom Thibodeau is going to be in contention for anything like that. Uh, last year at 1.2, there, there was an interesting push and thought that Jalen Brunson could push for um, most improved player of the year. That didn't really come to fruition. And as of right now on most improved player, I'm just double checking because I want to make sure that we didn't miss anything. He is not listed. So I don't think he would be in contention for that award. And I don't think that there's many guys on this uh, team that would be in contention for an MVP. Brunson would be the most obvious candidate. And right now he is 80 to one. And I would want a little bit more um, from Brunson in terms of a price to realistically bet him to win most valuable player. But think there are candidates to go over the win total. Think there are candidates to get into the postseason. Obviously, the odds reflect that as well. Don't think it's the craziest idea in the world. All right, when we come back, we'll take our break and uh, let's hit on the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's talk about James Harden. Let's talk about what the 76ers are and can be. And let's talk about what we do with the team whose second best player looks like is not going to be available. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! 
And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch. We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties, and they all come in two strengths. Find Zinn at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Back here on Harvard Handicappers, JBT flying solo today. Kelly will be back on Monday, and that's when we start again our new regular season schedule because the NBA season's back, baby. It starts on Tuesday. I can't really wait uh, to watch these teams in action in full strength and, and see really what they've been working on in the offseason. A reminder, too, that starting next week, we'll also have uh, our regular write-ups on the website. So every day, we'll bring back the daily write-ups in terms of games. Myself and Zach Cohen actually will give those to you on a regular basis. Fridays, we'll start to dive into John Von Model 2.0, made some tweaks and adjustments to that thing over the last couple of days. So really discuss that at length. Um, I've been thinking about adding like a video element to that. We got a lot going on though. So it's going to be hard to maybe do that regularly. Don't want to uh, overcommit because I think that's one of the weaknesses. I have lots of good ideas and then I overcommit to it and then I can't really execute them. So we'll talk about that down the road. But Fridays for sure, we'll have our written articles on John Von Model 2.0 when it comes to the NBA and the player model there. And um, what else we got going on? Oh, yeah, our Sports Equinox special. So make sure you check that out at avisan.com slash subscribe. Uh, a really good special that gives you everything we do all the way through March Madness. And, uh, of course, check out the College Basketball Guide. That thing is out. Very much worth it. I had a hand in writing that thing. I covered the Mountain West and West Coast Conference, which I got to go out to West Coast Conference and Mountain West Media Day. They did it together at Resorts World out here in Las Vegas. And there's actually an interesting tie here to the team that we're going to talk about, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, and I think I mentioned this on the pod yesterday. So if you were ta- if you were listening, then you know exactly where I'm going. But Isaiah Stevens, who is uh, a guard for Colorado State, who is uh, arguably the best basketball player in the Mountain West, we got to sit down and talk with him. And um, I got to ask him because Philadelphia, the 76ers, were out there at Moby Arena actually practicing at the start of training camp. And I, I, you know, I made sure to ask him, like, hey, do you guys get to take advantage of that? Do you get to sit and watch the team? Do you get to talk to them? And uh, Isaiah was awesome because he mentioned that, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. We sat, we talked with him, we, we talked with them. Uh, we got to see exactly what they, uh, what they did in terms of practice drills. Um, they even got to get some game tips. He, Stevens actually talked to Colorado, or excuse me, Colorado State, um, actually talked to uh, James Harden for a while as well about just individual game and all that kind of stuff. Gave us some unique insight because he said, like, hey, man, like you wouldn't really be able to tell uh, at all in terms of what you're looking at with this team. So it's pretty interesting to see that that is the case. But regardless, you know, as we kind of move forward here, what do we do? Because Harden has not been to practice. Looks like he's not going to play. Hasn't participated in any regular season games, or excuse me, preseason games. And the regular season opener for this team is on Thursday against Milwaukee. So I think it's safe to say that you're evaluating the Philadelphia 76ers as a team that is not going to have James Harden. And so when you look at Philadelphia without James Harden and you see, okay, well, what did they add? 
They got Patrick Beverly. They got Mobamba, Danny Green, Kelly Oubre, uh, Javante Smart, David Duke are all amongst the players that they added in the offseason. And you, I think you kind of really like what they added along, you know, the bench and everything like that, because this is already a really interesting bench to begin with when you looked at the Philadelphia 76ers, if they were going to be at full strength. De'Anthony Melton proved to be a very, very good addition for them last season. Uh, Beverly is a good, of course, defensive-oriented guard that doesn't have as much upside on offense as Melton, but both are two very solid defenders at their positions. Kelly Oubre is the patented spark plug off the bench from a scoring standpoint that you can need, right? High volume, low efficiency, but still just the patented six-man-of-the-year candidate, uh, which we're going to get into in a little bit. And then some interesting depth at center. When you talk about Paul Reed, then Mo Bamba and others. So, like, you don't really hate what the Philadelphia 76ers have, but it's a big year for one Tyrese Maxey. If Harden's not going to be available, then this is all about what Tyrese Maxey provides to you um, as the role player that he is. And now you would assume, I think you put uh, De'Anthony Melton into the starting lineup if you're the Philadelphia 76ers as you move into the regular season. We'll see if that's going to be the case uh, for Philadelphia. Uh, because I think that's the real question mark now is, okay, who do we start at point? What do we do with them as we move forward? Uh, we have one more preseason game for the Philadelphia 76ers to see what they want to do. Uh, as of now, Patrick Beverly has been in the starting lineup in the preseason. Not sure if that's really what I want to see, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if that's actually going to be the case. I guess you do need a defensive piece in the backcourt, but I think Melton can give you that while also giving you some upside on offense. But this is all about what Tyrese Maxey is going to bring to the table for them because if he is not going to be Harden available, then this is going to be Maxey's squad to run. And when you look at what he did last season at certain points, he was brilliant when he played point guard. They had a plus 3.1 net rating when he was on the floor, averaged 119.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, his shooting guard numbers were better, right? Plus 7.7 in terms of efficiency differential there, 121.3 offensive rating when he was playing the two. So that's his more dominant and comfortable position. But Maxie's awesome, man. And he is a, a transition offense all on his own. He's fast. He can shoot, score at all three levels. He's at least a guard that, while he's not a good defender, will try on defense and not really be caught out of position, not be a black hole. He'll be targeted, but he's not going to be a massive, massive liability for you on that end of the floor. So this is why I think when you look at Philadelphia and why I kind of mentioned, hey, we'll see what the market does by the time we get to Thursday if it really overreacts here, he's still a really good team. You still have one of the best, uh, actually, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, last year was the best player technically because he won MVP. But you still have one of the best players in the NBA and Joel Embiid. You've got two guys who can score in isolation at a high level in him and Tyrese Maxey. You've got a team and a unit that fits nicely around them. Tobias Harris is a solid defender who's gotten much better and has a catch and shoot and a pull-up threat from three. P.J. Tucker can be a primary defender if he wants to be. There's real questions about what he's going to provide as a shooter. That's one of their big weaknesses last year. He just refused to shoot. He's got to get better in that regard. And as I mentioned, some pretty good bench pieces. So if we look at this team now and you look at them from last season and you realize like, okay, so what's going to be the difference? Because win total wise, they're sitting there at about 40. I want to double check this really quick because I just had this up. My notes say 49 and a half, but I know that's not the case. It is the danger of doing a show by yourself is I got you guys with me and I got to uh, do this. All right, yeah, no. So it's at 48 and a half shaded to the under at minus 120. I still think this is a team that's even with that. If you're going to tell me right now that James Harden's not going to play, I still think it's a team that is dangerous enough to surpass that win total. They won 54 games last year. Of course, that was with Harden and a Harden that led the league in assists. But it, I'll put it this way. He is a loss, but I still think that they have enough and he's not that big of a loss 
to not surpass that number. Because if you don't get over that number, then we're talking about in the range of like a five seed for Philadelphia. And I just don't think that's a case with a team that has Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. And by the way, we should note a team that has Nick Nurse now on the sidelines. So overall, how the market treats Philadelphia as you move forward is going to be pretty fascinating because right now, at least the absence of James Harden, market would say, you know what? That's worth a decrease of about six-ish wins for this team from last year. And while Harden's valuable, I don't know if he's that valuable, especially if you assume natural growth uh, from one Tyrese Maxey. Now, I know um, Kelly did bet Tyrese Maxey to win most improved player of the year. He is the second choice on the board now to win most improved player of the year in the range of about uh, 18 or yeah, 10 to 1, I should say. Uh, let me double check for you and see exactly what that is. Let's see, most improved. What do we got? Yeah, 10 to 1 over at DraftKings behind Mikhail Bridges. Really, really makes a lot of sense. But what this team is, is going to be now as we move forward, it's pretty interesting. And what the dynamic is, because when you have Harden and when you have Joel Embiid, it makes sense that you're going to be a slow-paced team, but Maxie's not going to let him be a slow-paced team. And you're going to have some pretty good, you know, if you have lineups with Maxie and Paul Reed on the floor at center, Kelly Oubre, you got some options if you're Nick Nurse to kind of play the basketball you played out there in Toronto, which is just really fast, get up and down the floor, score in transition. And I can't wait to see if they kind of use that as a weapon a bit more. Outside of that, if you want to bet on, you know, you can bet on Joel Embiid to win a second consecutive MVP. Obviously, when you win that award, as we have seen with guys like Giannis and like Jokic, you are held to a higher standard the next year. But maybe the narrative of carrying a team to a top three seed and 50 plus wins after losing uh, James Harden the way that he did will help out Joel Embiid. But he's sitting at plus 650, not a price that I really think is worth investing in, especially given the history. We know Embiid might miss a little bit of time. You might be able to get a better number than 650 once the season starts. After that, let's wrap up the Atlantic preview with this. The Toronto Raptors, last team in the Atlantic we're talking about and the last team in the division. Win total 36 and a half. 100 to 1 to win the NBA Finals, 55 to 1 to win the conference, 35 to 1 to win the Atlantic. Additions that were at least worth mentioning, Dennis Schroeder, Jalen McDaniels, Garrett Temple. We know Fred Van Vliet is gone. Delano Benton is gone as well. Will Barton done? Uh, yes, Will Barton was a Toronto Raptor. Totally forgot about that until I was uh, getting ready on the summers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um so what Toronto is, is pretty interesting because it seems that the competitive window is really close to getting shut here. And at least for when it comes to winning a finals, and I, I think you could argue the window is shut overall for Toronto. Fred Van Vliet is gone. Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi have contract situations that are essentially leading them to probably be done this year, at least in terms of being in a Toronto Raptors uniform. Siakam's in the final year of a current deal. OG Ananobi is a player option worth about $18.9, $19.9 million. He can get more than that on the open market. And so uh, after a summer in which the team lost Fred Van Vliet for nothing, are they going to risk that again? Or are those two guys going to be shipped off before the trade deadline? Now I'll put this up front. I bet this team under because I think that they are going to be gone. But let's evaluate this team just assuming that they are whole. Because one of the things that this team was, very similar to a couple of the teams that we have talked about in previous team previews, very, very reliant on defense, forcing turnovers, getting out in transition and running, and scoring in that regard. They were 25th in half-court offensive efficiency last season, just 94.5 points per 100 plays, but they finished 12th in overall offensive efficiency because of their ability to get out and run. They were third also in offensive rebounding rate at 30.2%. They generated the second most putback points per 100 missed attempts as well. 16.7 second chance points per game two. So relying on offensive rebounding and second chance points, relying on forcing turnovers, relying on getting out and running, 
that was kind of the makeup here of the Toronto Raptors last season. But without Fred Van Vliet there, you just wonder, okay, is Dennis Schroeder really going to help you in the half court? Are you going to be able to play you the way you are, uber aggressive and forcing turnovers and trying to get out and running? And I just don't know if that's going to be the case. And I just, I want more efficiency. And they're also, they're not a good shooting team. They were the third worst shooting team in the league last season at 34.1%. They're not going to be improving by that much. Dennis Schroeder, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, all projected starters, all sub 34% career three-point shooters. Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. are the best shooters on the roster. That's kind of the problem. And the hope is that Grady Dick, who got to watch up close at Summer League, turns out to be a deep threat. I think he's, I don't say this because he's just a white guy who plays, you know, two, the two guard. He did remind me a lot of, um, of Tyler Hero when I got to watch him up close at Summer League. So we'll see if he develops into that sort of a player. So I think overall, when you look at this team, it just boils down to that. Do you think Toronto will take the risk again? and allow OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam to play out their deals and risk leaving in the offseason? Or will they see the writing on the wall and ship them off for assets to build around Scotty Barnes and to build around Grady Dick? And I just think that they can't take that risk after, after what they saw with Fred Van Vliet. And that's why I bet them under. They, they, the last few years, and just think about it, man, like they've been in the mix for the likes of Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard. Neither of them are wearing uh, the Toronto Raptors uniforms. You've got a decent core I just think that this is the time, man, and I'm, I'm taking that risk. And even if they are put together with the way the Eastern Conference has improved with teams below them, like Orlando and Indiana potentially rising up to meet them, even teams like Detroit maybe getting a little bit better. Charlotte, we'll see, but I think they could be very competitive. Atlanta is better. I, I just think that the writing's on the wall here, and I'm willing to take the risk of under 36 and a half wins for Toronto. And, and on top of that, not many awards candidates here. Uh, I think if you're going in any range – you're probably looking at potentially Grady Dick to win Rookie of the Year. He's at 35-1 to 1 over at DraftKings. That could be a potential, and especially if he's going to have a really big role for this team and if they start selling off pieces, he can make a late push for the award. But not many positives, I think, for the Toronto Raptors, and it's one of the win totals that I have bet this year. So with that, we are all done with the Atlantic preview. Um, I know sometimes that the uh, the solo episodes, I think, get a little boring. I, I like different voices on this, so hopefully you stuck through all the way. I uh, really appreciate it if you did. Remember, we'll be back on Monday with our Southeast preview and our final division preview with that. And then Tuesday, we'll get you ready for the opener and give you all of our futures as we head into the NBA regular season, which gets started. It's here, folks. Can't wait. And hopefully it's the start of a really good season for you, for us, and for anybody out there who enjoys the pod. We'll talk to you on Monday. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.